it starts as a dream. And for these six amateurs, it becomes a reality. This April, these six young men join the best professionals in the world at the Masters. This is a special presentation from the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. This is the road to Augusta. And now, your host, Ben Adelberg. And thanks for joining me again here at the Back of the Range. This is episode 128. Again, I am your host, Ben Adelberg. Yes, I know that the road to Augusta is currently closed. It's going to reopen at some point, and even though the Masters is postponed, these players earn their right into the field. So I hope you take the time to hear their stories because they're all phenomenal. Before we get to this week's episode, remember, social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Instagram handle is the Back of the Range Podcast. Uh, yesterday was Free Tal Tuesdays. I was a little late in getting the question out there for everyone to kind of comment on and tag some friends. So here it is again. Name a professional golfer that you would actually want to be quarantined with for a week. Leave your comments either on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, and I'll, I'll get some towels out to everyone this week. Nothing else to do except put out more episodes, which you know I'm going to do. Leaving a review is always good in Apple Podcasts, but you know what's really great? Sharing this with your friends. Because when you do that, things like this happen. I received messages from all over the world lately with people finding the podcast for the very first time, and they're sharing it on social media. So big shout out to Mert in the Netherlands, Eric in Thailand, seriously, for listening and following and sharing this podcast. So let's keep the international theme rolling. Today's guest is the 2019 United States Mid-Ambitor Champion, Lucas Michel. Last September at Colorado Golf Club, Lucas became the first foreign-born champion in the 39-year history of the U.S. Mid-Am. Lucas also won the tournament at the age of 25, the first year that he was eligible to play in the tournament. He's a native of Australia, so we spoke about his start in the game and the path that took him to the United States. There's also a great story in there about the University of St. Andrews. Um, Got to listen to this story. Kind of hard to believe, but again... If you're a college kid in St. Andrews, maybe it's not that hard to believe. So this episode was recorded nearly a month ago, so no mention of coronavirus. Lucas, at the time, was still planning on playing the Masters in April, so it's possible that the next time we see Lucas playing a major, it'll be the U.S. Open instead of the Masters. I'm probably going to follow up with him, but in the upcoming months, once golf and life in general becomes a little more predictable, but in the meantime... Here's my conversation with a 25-year-old kid that has a Masters and a U.S. Open invite in his hands, just waiting to cash them in. So, Lucas, welcome to the back of the range. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. And I love, boy, do I love, you know, there's times I really don't love technology, but this is definitely one of the times where technology is a beautiful thing because we're, we're catching up here and I'm in sunny South Florida and you are on the complete other side of the world in Australia. So I don't even know what it's Sunday here. What day is it over there? I don't even know what time. What day is it? What's going on? Yeah. So it's Monday morning, 9.41 a.m. in Melbourne. Oh, my so, gosh. Yeah. It's like 6 yeah, o'clock in the evening on Sunday. So, all right. So you're you're in Australia. We've, we've covered that part. You're, you're on this yeah. episode for the Road to Augusta because you are the 2019 United States Mid-Amateur Champion. Growing up playing golf in Australia, when did perhaps your sights on a potential 
USGA championship, even participating in elite level amateur mm. golf in the States. Can you remember when that actually started to become a reality? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I grew up in Western Australia, um, in Perth and there's actually, we've had a lot of, a lot of good players come out of Perth, a few USGA champions, uh, well, few, few guys that have done really well in USGA championships. Um, obviously we had, we had Min Woo Lee, who I think won the U S junior. We had Oliver Goss runner up at the, uh, U S amateur a few years ago. Curtis Luck won the U S amateur who I went to school with uh, high school with. He was yeah. a couple years younger. So it's a pretty good golfing culture over in, in Western Australia. Um, I grew up over there and then I played lots of competitive golf as a kid moved, uh, moved to Melbourne when I finished high school. Um, just cause Perth is possibly the most isolated city in the world. It's, okay. it's, it's pretty small, but you know, it's, it's still a sizable city, but it's, it's a three or four hour flight from Melbourne, um, which might be the nearest big city. I mean, Adelaide's probably three hours away, but that's pretty small. Um, so I moved to Melbourne, uh, when I was 18 and attended university over, over here. Um, and, and I continued playing golf through university. I did, I did think about us college golf, um, but my golf level wasn't quite there to play at one of the, the bigger colleges. If I went over, I wanted to play at a, at a good college and get a good degree from, sure. from a, from a good college. So, um, Melbourne University and Melbourne in general seemed like a, a really good option for me. And it didn't require such a big kind of change and big trip over to the US and, and living there for a few years. So um, I moved to Melbourne and, and after a couple of years, I, I sort of, my golf was going, going well, I was improving. Um, and I got to the point where I hadn't really done any international travel and I felt like it was time to sort of test my game internationally um and i went to uh in 2018 i think i went to the u.s for the first time uh tried qualifying for the u.s amateur didn't didn't make it but played a couple other tournaments i played the trans mississippi am and the southern am and um enjoyed that and went back uh last year in 2019 and played a few more tournaments in june and then um actually the u.s mid amateur was going to be my last event as a as an amateur because I was an intending, I was intending on turning pro. Sure. Uh, but, but I, uh, I ended up winning that. So Whoops, yeah. that sort of changes things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That yeah, yeah. Did, didn't mean to do that, but Hey, sure. If it happens, great. I'll be yeah. a U.S. mid amateur champion. All the, all the yeah. things that come with it. Um, yeah. well I, I wanted to, so it's, you know, we, we know about you because you're, you're the U.S. mid amateur champion. You're going to play the masters. You're going to play the U.S. open at Wingfoot. But the thing that I find so interesting is, you know, when people maybe here in the States think about a United States mid amateur, they think about a lot of maybe reinstated professionals because it seems like anyone that has tremendous success at a U.S. amateur or a collegiate level, they turn pro and they probably mm. stay with it past the age of 25 or 27. And maybe when they're getting their status back to play amateurs is maybe the age of maybe, you know, 30, 31 but you're, you yeah. win it in your first try in your first year of eligibility. You have to be 25 years old to play in the in a, in a mid-am. So before I ask you a little bit about your schooling and about what you have done to prepare your game, I, I don't want to gloss over the fact that your first trip to the States was in 2018. 
what was perhaps some of the things that you had to acclimate yourself to, not just on the golf course, but just being in the States? I mean, what were maybe some of the culture shocks or maybe the shocks on the golf course? Yeah, I think, um, I think when I first came across in 2018, the first place I visited was Columbus in Ohio. And that was really nice. I was with a lovely family. That's probably the greatest thing about um, amateur events in the States is the, the host families that yeah. look after you. So the acclimation wasn't really a big, a big deal in terms of getting used to the culture and that, because you kind of, you stay with great families and they make you feel really, really welcome. So um, that wasn't a huge deal, but definitely the golf courses took some, some time to get used to. So definitely there's a, a lot more rough than we have back in Australia. We tend to not use probably as much water. I think we're, we're a bit more drought prone, oh, yeah. um, definitely in, in Melbourne. Um, and, uh, yeah, so the roughs don't t- tend to get as thick in Melbourne. So that took some getting used to, and it probably in general, you've got to drive the ball a bit more, a bit straighter and, and more consistently in the States, I think. Um, just cause yeah, if you miss there's rough and there's, there's a bit more trees and yeah, there's a bit more trouble. Um, I'd say the course is probably pretty similar in length and our courses tend to be easier off the tee and trickier into the greens, I'd say. A lot of short side misses, whereas in the States you can kind of fire a bit more at pins um, and trust your short game to get up and down. But um, I definitely like the golf, the golf's similar, but there's just a few, there's a few things that, that you need to get used to. And, and that was actually a big thing at the mid-am, I think, um, with the way the course was set up. Um, it was playing really firm, really fast. It's a core Crenshaw course. It's, it's pretty wide off the tee. So it was a lot like Aussie golf, which was, okay. which was nice to me. Yeah, so it was held at Colorado Golf Club. So I would imagine mm. you're just getting tons of roll, tons of carry. Yeah. So Correct. I yeah. would I would guess – was it a situation where, and I'm not sure your, you know, your driving distance stats, I don't have them, you know, I don't have that in front yeah. of me, but I'm guessing that the field was pretty level playing field, I would imagine, because if you're hitting it hard enough and it's rolling, you're going to get as much distance as you need. Yeah, so with the altitude, I think we were, like, my caddy and I were working off about a 10 or 12% increase okay. due to the altitude. Um, and then, yeah, there was, there was plenty of rollout. Um, I'm fairly long off the tee, although the guy I played in the final, Joe Durani, was was we were pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Um, so length length definitely was an advantage around there with the width of the course. I found, um, but yeah, yeah, I think with the, the the carry, the extra carry, and and all that, there was a lot more to think about when you were coming into greens. And I think in a way that kind of made me a bit bit more distracted by having to do all those calculations and figuring out where it's going to land and where it's going to roll out to and exactly what club to hit is a bit more of a uh, calculation process to come come to. I'm guessing you were able to manufacture it somewhat okay considering that your your mechanical engineering degree you have your mechanical engineering degree yeah. um, you went to University of Melbourne went to University of St Andrews so definitely um you got uh, where they said, you know, Bob Jones says the, the toughest place is, you know, the six inches uh, on the course or the six inches between your head. So, um, yeah, you, you got a little bit up there. So um, you like I've been to St. Andrews. I love that town. So you you went yeah. over there on I guess it was just a, a uh, semester abroad, so to speak, coming from yeah. Australia. I love that town. So we can talk all about the how magnificent mm. St. Andrews is, but how did that kind of shape your your golf game? Yeah, so I spent 
I spent six months over there um, in St Andrews. Uh, so University of Melbourne, fortunately, it has a, a partnership with the University of St Andrews. So they send a couple of students every year back and forward between the, the two um, universities. So, yeah, I was lucky enough to spend six months there. Um, I was part of the Saints Golf Program, which is their sort of high-performance um, sort of yeah. university golf team. Um, so I was part of that. And I definitely think, you know, Melbourne, Melbourne has some pretty – can you have some pretty wild weather if you've watched any of the tournaments we have or the Vic Open, for instance, um, down at 13th Beach gets really windy quite often. So it wasn't too shocking uh, when I got over there. Probably um, probably definitely learn a bit more about how to shape my ball and keep it low under the wind and, and getting used to you know dressing up into some bit more colder uh, or clothes to deal with the cold. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> wearing mitts and, and all that. Cause it, it, I was in, the, I was there from September through to well August through to uh, December. So um, I dealt with some pretty cool weather near the end, but um, yeah, I think, I think it definitely was good for my game to try it on different, different sorts of golf courses where the ball rolls out, maybe even a little bit more than it does in Australia and, and different sort of grass types and, and all that. So I think it was good for my game and um it was also good overall as an experience to live in the town of St Andrews for oh, yeah. six months, you know, which really is, it is the home of golf, like they say. Um, I was living about 200, 200 yards from the first tee on the old course and I was three or four floors up. So I had a perfect view across kind of the course and town. It was incredible where I was living. So I was very, very lucky to, to be able to do that. Now, I, I, I feel I can ask you this question since you have left the university and, and you're, you've gotten your, you've received your degree and they can't take it yeah. away from you. But is there any chance that you may have hit some golf shots onto the old course from your flat 200 yards away from uh, the course? Is there any chance that may have happened? <laughs> yeah, that happened. <laughs> okay. The last night I was there. Yeah, the last night I was there. I didn't want to do it. Oh, that's during smart. No, that's time. smart. Yeah. But um, I knew I was leaving at 7 a.m. the next morning. So the last night I was there, I had a, had a window in the room that was could be opened up all the way up to the top, but it still wasn't super, super wide. But being the, uh, the engineer that I, that I am, I, <laughs> I went to the driving range. Um, I knew it was 150 yards or so. I uh, went to the driving range, um, figured out exactly how tall the window was, um, and then hit some shots, figure out how far away from the window I had to be for that certain shot to go through the window. And, and yeah, I hit a couple shots out onto the green on the 18th. <laughs> this is kind of like your Bryson DeChambeau moment here where you got the protractor figuring out launch angles, trying how not to clip the window. Yeah. And, okay, perfect. All right. Yeah, well, pretty good. much. It was, it was as safe as it could have been uh, in terms of <laughs> hitting a golf ball through a window exactly. across a couple of roads. Yeah, I, I, I've done that a couple times. Not, not, not proud of it, and I may have had a cocktail or two yeah. in me when I tried it. But uh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I was pretty sober, so oh, well. I made sure I had all my wits about me. Yeah, and well. I'm a pretty decent golfer, so I, I backed myself. Yeah, I've done just a little half swing chip out, like staying in like a beachfront condo, and just did like a little half swing, a little chip swing, and then just it carries onto the beach. And yeah, that yeah. that's fine. But there was one person that was well overserved that just took a complete full seven iron off the carpet <laughs> and miraculously did not shatter anything but uh well yeah. well good i'm glad i'm glad you're able to do that and get the degree and not have any property damage so uh it sounds like yeah it was no, it was, 
pretty successful. That's good. One other thing I wanted to hit on is like I was kind of leading into about um, about reinstated amateurs dominating at the uh, U.S. Mid Am. It seems like a lot of them, whether or not they're winning every time, but they are populating the field quite heavily. Mm. Like I said, twenty five years old. How do you make a living and still keep your game sharp so you can compete at this level? Is it a nine to five job? Are you you know what kind of uh, you know not to you know ask yeah. really detailed questions about your your finances but i'm just curious how yeah. are you able to travel how are you able to compete and how are you yeah. able to have time to work on your game yeah so when i finished university i obviously had some options whether i would go straight into work as an engineer or or whether i'd yeah, so yeah sort of hang up the sticks and not really touch them again because that's the problem with with sort of engineering is they're all sort of nine to five office sure. type jobs or probably longer than nine to five really. So it was sort of calling it quits on my golf career if I did decide to go down that route. Um, but I didn't really want to do that. Um, I'd played golf all my life. I felt like I still had more left in the tank and, and more potential. So I decided to put a hold on the professional career uh, in terms of professional as an engineer career um and just play more golf i was i was working at a driving range at the time through university um and it was good because and i still am there it's it's during the nights so i can work like 4 4 p.m till 10 10 30 sure um in the evenings which allows me to play and practice during the day um i was also doing a little bit of caddying on the side i'm not doing as much of that um at the moment just because i <laughs> want to spend my valuable daytime hours practicing and playing as much as I can in the lead up to, to Augusta and, and, and the U S open. But, um, I've been doing a little bit of that. Um, a friend of mine had a, has a, has a golf business. Um, it's like an indoor practice facility. Um, so I've been sort of helping him out with a bit of stuff. And then recently I been helping out a friend who's a golf course architect. Um, his name's Mike Clayton. He played on the European tour for a bunch of years and, and he's just sort of formed his own design company. He's been in the industry for about 20 or 25 years, but um, he's recently split off from a bunch of partners. He's formed his own business and he's, um, he needed a little bit help, bit of help and having an engineering degree and a, and a bit of interest in golf architecture. I was more than happy to help him out. So I've sort of got a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of different kind of areas where I'm trying to make a bit of money to just be able to fund my, my golfing ambitions at the moment um but yeah uh, yeah for the time being i'm focusing on on potentially uh yeah playing golf and and turning professional in the not too distant future hopefully so if i understand this correctly you're saying that you're kind of a cross between a danny noonan from caddyshack and a roy mcavoy from tin cup that went ahead and won the u.s minimum with a little bit of an australian <laughs> accent thrown in is that about right yeah that sounds about right you that's can, actually you the, can describe it that way okay well but that's like actually the you know as a purist as as an amateur um you know as an amateur event isn't that kind of what you like to see? You like to see a guy that that is a, a pure amateur, whether or not you have professional aspirations or not. But yeah, but 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 that's that's an awesome story. I mean, just basically, it gives a lot of hope or lives. It shows like, hey, some guy that's you know working at yeah. a driving range and and looping and, and can get to the highest level of, of mini amateur golf. It's literally a case of just kind of following my dream. Of, yeah, 
of playing playing pro golf in the end, but sort of using, I mean, at some point you've got to choose to turn professional and, and mine was sort of delayed. I went to the tour school back home. Um, I didn't get my card. So I decided to stay amateur another year and, and that, that sort of missing my card by a couple of shots sort of in a way has changed my life quite a bit this year with, with how I played at the mid am and, and everything that comes with that. It's yeah, it's, it's, it's really just a case of just kind of following my dream. And you know, what's interesting, it sounds to me, and I, I could be just kind of throwing it out there. It could be wrong, but you know, you had, I know you played the sunny Hannah, played the Northeast, played the North South amateur and, you know, yeah. truth be told, I think you missed two cuts, came in 34th at the Northeast. So it's not like you were lighting yeah. the world on fire going into the U.S. Mid-Am. Did you really have any big expectations going in? I know you didn't have to qualify. You were exempt, so you didn't have to go yeah. through the qualifier. But did you have any really big expectations or was it just like, this is my last little go around before I start doing this for a living and let's just see what happens? Yeah, it was quite funny. Yeah, I didn't have the the best uh, golfing experiences in uh in my trip sort of mid-year to the States, uh, sort of June, July, I was just, my game was fine, but I just was struggling with bits and pieces of it. You know, at the Northeast, I drove it great. I hit it quite well with my irons and then just didn't putt very well. And then um, North and South, I drove it horribly. And then it was just like nothing really matched up at once. And my game felt like it was close, but it just all quite wasn't there. And when I came home, I was pretty disappointed with how I was playing and, and sort of was, you know, obviously rethinking my, my future options sure. of, of what I do next. Cause um, I felt like my game perhaps, yeah, wasn't quite at the level it needed to be to, to sort of turn professional and, 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 and do all that. So I ended up sitting down, I chatted to a couple of the people from golf Australia. Um, they were sort of talking and, even though I missed tour school um, in Australia, I still had, because I made the final stage and came in like, I think it was 40th to 55th. I still had like a sort of conditional sort of status where I could play in sort of one day um, pro-ams and I could still do the Mondays for all the big events. And I actually had an exemption into one of the bigger events, which is the New South Wales Open, which is sort of a decent sized um, pro event back home so I still had those events to look forward to if I'd I'd turn pro and they sort of, sort of suggested that I do turn pro but I thought I should wait until after the mid dam because that was a really really good opportunity and sometimes when you're playing poorly and and like I've been playing sort of high level amateur golf for five six seven years playing sort of the same sort of events over and over again you can get a bit stale so mixing it up and and maybe playing for playing for something that feels a bit different playing for money which was would have been the different thing was uh seemed quite attractive to me so um the mid-am was going to be my last event as an amateur um the pressure was off in a way because even if i so i kind of went into the week thinking well you know if i win you know not that i was you know expecting to win but if i won um it was going to be an incredible opportunity. And then if I didn't win, well, I'm going to turn pro and it's going to be an exciting sort of few months to be able to, you know, change things up a bit and, and play with a different bunch of people and um, play for money as well. So um, it was kind of, I kind of went in as a win-win and I knew, I knew I was one of the higher ranked players in the field, but 
I don't think those world amateur golf rankings really reflect the mid ams that well because a lot of the guys don't play full schedules and sure. and they've they've got their status back from you know being professionals. So um, there's a lot of good players in there that that the world amateur golf rankings don't really reflect. So I knew I knew it was a very very strong field, but but I knew I was sort of one of the better sort of players. And when I made it through the stroke play, sort of middle of the pack, didn't play that well. And then kind of got started in the match play, I started to actually play really well. I thought I was a chance from there. But until I got to the semi, I wasn't really thinking about winning. And then I obviously I beat Stuart and then it all became pretty real that that it that it could that it could happen. And Oh yeah, no, you have to that's that's well said and it, it kind of makes sense where you know that there's something else on the other end of that tournament, regardless of whether you win or lose. And it's yeah. And it's such a long I mean it's such a it has to be such a long week. I've played in one of them, but I didn't make it to match yeah. play. And but you're I mean, it's thirty six holes of stroke play. And also what people need to remember is who really is used to that altitude? Not just at the yeah. golf course, but it's dry, it's it, the the air's thin, mm. you gotta walk it. You're walking mm. uh, you know, sometimes thirty six, depending on how how late your matches go, but at that point who really cares? You're out there that much, you're walking, it's taking its toll. Yeah um it was tough like i actually got in a bit early just to try and acclimatize for it because i got in i think it started i'm trying to remember the exact dates i think it started on the 14th of september and i got in on like the 9th so i got in well early um i actually went up and i played a golf course in nebraska called sandhills before because i needed something to do and uh mike clayton who i now work for he had a good connection with the superintendent there so I spent two days there um, playing some golf, which is, it's at altitude, not quite what Denver is, but um, it's at altitude. But yeah, it's it's tough. Like, And that golf course, because it has to deal with the altitude, it's got to be 10, 12% longer than it is. So the actual walk, it's like you're walking almost 8,000 yards. Yeah. Um, and then that's not including green to tee walks, which might be a little bit more. So it's, it's a long walk on top of that and you're playing we play like 18, 36, 36, 36 to get to the final along with the stroke play and practice rounds. So yeah, it was probably youth was on my side there. <laughs> One of the younger guys in the field. Oh yeah. Well, I, I've felt that. I also feel that way about the U S U uh, S amateur uh, uh, four ball. You're seeing a lot of yeah. these young kids dominating that. And it's just, you're walking a lot and just, you have to be, you have to have endurance. So yeah. Well, yeah, sure. the uh, well, the big you have many things that are waiting for you, but I guess the biggest one on the horizon is less than fifty days away. You're playing in the in the 2020 Masters at Augusta National. Tell me about. You're probably at the biggest disadvantage of the six amateurs that are playing in the fact that you don't live full time in the states, and there's you know a lot of guys that are, well, you and and James Suger, the British amateur champion. But everyone else pretty much is in the states. I guess Abel Gallegos is in Argentina, so half the field are international, but half are here in the states. So, tell me a little bit about what you've done on site at Augusta National to prepare yourself. Have you played? Have you been there for a visit yet? Yeah, I went. I went for a quick visit in uh, in well in December, just before Christmas. Um, I had I had a little bit of time. It was I kind of did my schedule, and I really the only time I had was right before Christmas because we had all our big events in January and then I played a bunch of events in November and December as well. So I spent a week in December um, in the States. I went straight to 
Augusta first, played for three days. Um, and as a exempt amateur, they allow, well, I think as an exempt player in general, they allow you five days unaccompanied by any sort of member or anything like that. Wow. So I spent three of those um, there uh, and actually got some really nice weather uh, for that time of year. It was like 20, well, I'm in, I'm in Celsius. It was probably like 70 Fahrenheit for both, for two of the three days. Third day, it rained a lot, but um, just being able to see the place in person, everyone tells you, you know, oh, you need to do this, you need to do that and all that. But to be able to see the place in per- sort of in person and, and actually see the shots, the tee shots you need to hit or the approach shots you need to hit, even though the condition wasn't playing like it'll play in April, just to be able to see those shots and, and be able to come home and know, okay, that's what I need to practice versus yeah. what people tell you. It doesn't really unless you see it in person, you're not going to really almost believe them or actually dedicate yourself to properly practicing unless you see it with your own eyes. I don't think so. That was really beneficial um, to be able to go out there for a few days and, and, and really try and learn the place pretty well, but really just see what sort of golf I need to be playing when I get there. What were some of the things that you're, that you took away from that practice session saying, okay, I need to, this is what I need to improve on, or I'm going to need this shot for Augusta that, I mean, obviously you need to be able to work it both ways and you need to control your distances and, and, you know, everyone can use a little, you know, little spit and polish on their short game from time to time. But was there something specifically that you were thinking, okay, I, I am going to need this in April. The biggest thing for me was being comfortable hitting a drawer off the tee because you, you can you can have a natural shot shape of a fade, but unless you're comfortable hitting a draw, I think it's as a right hander obviously if unless you're comfortable hitting a draw, you're gonna probably struggle a little bit there okay and at the time, I just come off a bunch of events and when you're playing events, you kind of you're just sort of working with what you got and I played the Aussie open I played quite well I, I finished in the top 25. Australian Open and then I went straight there and and I was hitting this fade off the tee and I got to like the second tee shot of the day on the, um, on the second hole at Augusta and I'm like okay I'm not comfortable hitting a hitting a draw right now and I'm pretty much if I'm gonna hit driver here which probably isn't necessary but if I'm gonna hit driver here I need to hit a draw and then there's a lot of other tee shots like that where you need to be able to draw it comfortably um, and I didn't feel like I quite had that at the time um, so that was one big one. I think you've also got to be really precise with your iron play. Um, there's a lot of little segments to every green. To me, the thing I didn't expect, I knew there was a lot of slope on the green, but I didn't realize how many, like how bold the internal contouring of the greens were. So there's a lot of times where even though the greens are quite large, where the pins are, they play very, very small. So you've got to be very precise with your iron play, I think. Um, so that was another thing that I've sort of been trying to work on. So, yeah, being able to draw it off the tee and then and then just fine-tuning the iron play a bit more. I feel like my short game's in really good shape, so I'm not too worried about that stuff. And, and the courses here around Melbourne, we have a lot of that tight, tight grass around the greens. So sure. um, I'm not too worried about that. Our greens are, are very quick down here as well. So um, I'm pretty confident. Uh, in my short game it'll just be fine-tuning my long game nice have you been able to reach out to anyone for I guess maybe advice or anyone that's reached out to you just you know whether it's congratulations or just maybe you get more helping you get more acclimated to Augusta National 
I spoke to, I've spoken to a few people like at the, well, just before the Australian Open, I spoke to Nico Hearn, who's obviously sure. played the Masters a few times and and uh, we sat down for an hour or so and we chatted about the place. That was before I went over there and saw it with my own eyes. But um, that was really useful, just getting his advice. Um, he just sort of said the same sort of stuff that I sort of told you there. Um, but yeah, unless you see it with your own eyes, it's hard to really believe exactly what people are telling you, um, even if it is someone like Nico Hearn. But yeah, I've spoken to Nick. I've spoken to a bunch of other people. Mike Clayton obviously played on the European Tour. He never played the Masters, but he just sort of suggested, um, you know, playing a lot of shots off slopey lies because my home course is quite flat. So um, he sort of suggested playing around at a bunch of different courses where the lies are a bit more slopey and getting used to that a bit more. Um, I actually grew up on a golf course, a very hilly golf course in Western Australia. So hopefully that sort of stays with me in my DNA a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> to be able to play those, those shots. Um, but yeah, the, pretty much what I told you is sort of what I've come away with, with, with the advice of everyone. And then also seeing it with my own eyes too. It's too early to figure out who your practice round partners are going to be, but have you, um, yeah. is, is that something you're kind of angling for to, to get with some players that might be able to assist you a little bit, or is it just kind of show up and see who you get partnered with and just enjoy the experience? Yeah. I've been in touch with. Mark Leishman's coach who coaches a good friend of mine and I think that one will be fairly easy to 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 line up and Mark yeah. tends to play well there too so yes, he um he, yeah that'd be a good one definitely he seems like a really good guy I've not met him before um but from all accounts uh, he's a great guy so he'd be a good one um I really kind of I'd like to play practice rounds to get used to the crowds as well I played in front of some decent crowds like I was, I think, third or fourth last group going out at the Aussie Open last year. So there was a decent crowd when I sort of teed off in the first few holes. But um, being getting used to those crowds early in the week, sort of one piece of advice someone someone told me. <laughs> so sounds like um, that would be important. Yeah, so being able to play maybe with some good players in the practice rounds that, that have a bit of a following around there, um, I think that would be quite useful uh, to get used to. Yeah, to get used to that. Um, but yeah, I haven't really targeted any, any players. I'll just sort of, I might try and see, I know, I know a lot of the players sort of line up groups ahead of things, um, especially some of the good players, but, um, if I can sneak my way into a, into a good group with some players that have a, have a big crowd following them, then I wouldn't be against that. Tiger's probably going to have a pretty big crowd. I mean, if you're looking for one, that would yeah. probably, that'd probably be a good game to get into if you, yeah. can, if you can manage that one. Yeah, that that would be a good one. <laughs> well, you got. I might the, try my best. Yeah, well, you got the par three contest. You have the the amateur dinner. Yeah, that you get just it's going to be an incredible experience. Um, now let's let's ask a real tough question here. Will your caddy from the U.S. Mid Am, Will Davenport, will he be on the bag? Does he know if he's on the bag yet? Are we going to break some news here, or have, has that decision been made yet? So I, when, when he caddied for me, so he played in the mid am. Yeah. Um, he got knocked out by Stuart Hagerstad in the round of 64, I think. So he jumped on my bag from the round of 32 and, and we were chatting in the semifinal before, before the final, I said to him, I said, Oh, like I've had a great time this week. You know, you're, you're, if we win tomorrow, you're as good a chance as anyone is, you know, to be on the bag. 
Um, and then I had to think about it that night. Uh-oh. And I thought, I thought, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell Will tomorrow morning that he's on the bag at Augusta. We, wow. Because he'd, he'd been great. He'd been great. So I told him that morning um, that we're gonna win this and we're we're going to Augusta. And I think that pumped him up. It pumped me up because it sort of, in some way, made me a bit more accountable for for how I was playing <laughs> to 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 play for him and me. Um, so, uh, obviously there was times during the, the, the final where we were down, down a few, but, uh, I think having his kind of <laughs> his aspirations to, to be there at the masters sure. sort of riding on my back as well, kind of maybe dig down a little deeper maybe and, and made sure I didn't let it, let that opportunity slip away. So, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's going to be catting, um, at, at Augusta. Wow. Well, that that actually might be a fun conversation for me to have with him going in as a as a rookie caddy at Augusta National. Have you spoken to yeah. him recently? Like, what's been your communication with him? I mean, obviously, you're you have to handle your game, and and he has to learn, and and well, he has to know your game just as well as he did the US yeah. Am. Have you guys been kind yeah. of talking strategy, or how's that been? Yeah. So we've been chatting a bit. Um, Fortunately, so I went to University of St. Andrews with a good friend of his um, and they, th- those people know Augusta members. So fortunately, we're going to be able to go to Augusta and, and we're both going to play it um, in a few weeks in mid-March when I head over. Um, so that's the plan is for him to learn the place as good as anyone, um, hopefully as good as a local caddy, although those guys are pretty good. Oh yeah. Um, so we're going to spend a few days there learning the place, um, as much as we can. And then, uh, and he's obviously going to have the opportunity to play it as well. Um, and then from there we can kind of strategize a bit more, but we're going to stay, stay together for a bit there. He's going to actually play the Azalea as well. So we're staying together for that. Yeah. Um, and we've been in contact pretty much not on a daily basis, but Definitely a weekly basis. Um, sending since like week- the we're sending like weekly reports. Okay, here's how far the yeah. seven, here's how far the seminar is going this week. Make sure you track. Yeah, that. Well, the the tough thing as well is that uh, he's in yards and I'm in meters. So uh, that actually worked quite well at <laughs> at Colorado because we're having to do so many calculations anyway that like the numbers that were spitting out on paper just sounded ridiculous anyway. Sure. Um, so that didn't wasn't such an issue there, but. Uh, might take a little bit more sort of convincing um, at, at Augusta when the numbers are actually different. <laughs> yeah, you guys might want to get on the same page with that. And and just so you know, you can't yeah. use, you can't use a, a, a laser gun. You no, can't, can't use. I'm just, I didn't know if you knew that. They're kind of sticklers there. That's kind of not. You can't do that. So just don't, don't yeah. tell tell Davenport not to have the, the laser in in his pocket. Um, yeah. So uh, what you are not actually the first guest on the back of the range that has some ties to the University of St Andrews. If you can, give me a good Alexa Hammer story. <laughs> so she started at St. Andrews at the very same time that I started my uh, semester abroad there. Um, so we played through the same high-performance programs, um, played, you know, competed on Saints Golf together, all that. So, um, And that's – Will knows the Hammer family as well. So that's the mutual 
connection there. Well, that's um, that's interesting because uh, while we're talking, uh, listeners will probably hear a beep uh, in on the phone because that was Kevin actually calling me to t- to say hello and to, to chat. And I said, "Hey, I'll, I'll I'll get back to you. I'm talking to Lucas." He's like, "Oh yeah, that's that's uh, Alexis' friend. Tell." Tell Lucas that if Will can't make it, I'll loop for him at the Masters. I'm assuming not to. Yeah. yeah, okay. Let Kevin know that, yeah, if, if everything goes bad, then, yeah, he might be required. <laughs> okay. We will, we will put him on high alert. He is he's the. Yeah, he's he, the, can be, he can be first reserve of about 100. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. So, uh, so uh, tickets, um, you uh, players get, I believe, eight tickets and then the option to buy a couple extra ones. So how, how does that work when, you know, this isn't just like, you know, someone in Florida grabbing a flight up to Atlanta or someone in California hopping over and going to the Masters. It's a big trip. Who are some of the people yeah. that are coming with you? Because it's, you know, everyone wants to go to the Masters, but, you know, flying from Australia over to the States, that's not super simple. So um, who's coming over? Yeah, so the Masters, it really is like a once-in-a-lifetime sort of thing for an Australian. Um, so I've got two sets. So I've got some, a couple close family friends. Um, so two couples that are sort of friends of my parents that are going to be there. So one of the couples lives in Florida for part of the year and they live in, um, I think. Uh, but, yeah, they live somewhere else for another part of the year. Um, and then I've got another set of family friends from back home um in well in melbourne that are that they're going to come over with me um he's so the 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 guy's a good friend of mine he carried for me the aussie open he was a bit stiff not to get the bag for the uh the masters <laughs> he's been a, he's been great to me um and then i've got i've got six close friends actually seven sorry close younger friends um sort of from melbourne who are going to come across um and they're they're actually they were struggling to find accommodation because it's not it's not cheap no, uh, for that not. week. Um, they just they just locked in accommodation, so they're going to be there for the week as well. And then I've got a bunch, so they're sort of all pretty much all of my tickets. But um, I've got a bunch of members from the Metropolitan Golf Club where I where I'm a member who uh, coincidentally organised a trip over uh, for for this year's mar yeah this year's Masters. And, uh, and it so happens that I'm going to be playing in it, which is incredible coincidence. So there's, I think 16 going on that trip with the, the club pro, uh, they're going there, they're watching, I think three or four days and then they're, um, playing a few courses in the area. Um, so they're going to be there as well. Um, and then there's, uh, I'm sure there'll be a handful of other, of other members that are going to. So yeah, there's a, there's going to be a big contingent of, of supporters for me. So I'm pretty excited. Um, if I don't have big crowds because I'm not playing with big players, I might have a few of my own supporters that are pretty vocal and supportive. Okay, so that leads me to, that's perfect. That leads me to this question. You have this big contingency coming over, and I know that, well, sports fans everywhere, but especially Australian sports fans get pretty serious. And is there anyone that you're concerned that might get a little too overzealous at Augusta National? If you had to throw – if you had to throw one person under the bus that maybe needs to be looked after, who who is yeah. yeah who you already know who I'm talking about, don't you? Well, I, I actually don't know who you're talking about. I was going to suggest someone else. Oh, but uh, <laughs> who who are you talking about? No, I don't know anyone in particular. But the way you're kind of chuckling, I'm thinking, oh, he knows exactly uh, who's okay. going to be. Yeah, okay, he, yeah, 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 yeah. I was just thinking, yeah. So a friend of mine, he plays on the Australian tour, 
Um, and he actually won a tournament last year, but he's a, he's an interesting guy. He's playing a very limited schedule because he feels like he plays best when he's enjoying himself and having a good time. Okay. Um, and he's coming along um, for the week and he's, I think he's literally there just to have a good time. So <laughs> I'd be slightly concerned about his stakes throughout the week. Um, Perfect. Yeah, he might be someone that could get himself into a little bit of trouble if he's not careful. So he he caddied uh, on the LPGA Tour last year, and uh, his his boss, his player, fired, fired him because he rocked up to a 7.30 a.m. tea time after being out all night until like 5.30. <laughs> And she late she found out later in the week off another caddy that 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 had happened, and it turns out the the guy he was sort of out with, um, her his player actually won that that week. It was the oh. it was it was a major as well. So he, somehow the guy that was out with that guy won the week, and then but my friend got uh, got fired because <laughs> she didn't play that well. She didn't win. Whoops. So that was that was an interesting story. But yeah, he's. He's a bit of a, a wild one, so I'm genuinely concerned for him. <laughs> okay, so... As long as he doesn't get me in trouble. Yeah, and it's not like you have anything else to worry about while you're there. You're just playing golf for a few days. No. It's no big deal. No, oh, okay. exactly. Good. Well, Lucas, I really appreciate the time. It sounds like you have just you have an outstanding mindset for going into, like you said, a, a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Um, I know you have a professional, your professional aspirations waiting for you after this, waiting for you after the U.S. Uh, Open, and and are you going to play the U.S. Am at Bandon Dunes? I, I forgot to ask you that. Yeah, well, that's something that I'm I'm looking at. Like, if I played incredibly well at the Masters and U.S. Open, perhaps there'd be some other opportunities that would present themselves. I'm not sure in terms of turning pro on that, but sure. um, the intention at this point would be, yeah, to play the U.S. Am. Um, and then if my golf's in a really good position, I'd probably enter into the European and, and Japanese and maybe the corn Ferry tour schools and, and try and play, uh, play those and try and lock up a card somewhere. That would, that would be sort of where I'm looking at going in the near future. Um, but if they go horribly, then I might think that, oh, well, this mid-am golf life might be for me, but, um, at this stage the yeah, the aspiration is to play um, to play professionally. So that's sort of the plan is, yeah, probably play USM um, and then look at some some qualifying schools after that. Well, you uh, you have plenty of things waiting for you after the Masters, whether it's amateur or professional events. But uh, go ahead and soak it in and enjoy everything that uh, comes with that Masters invitation as the U.S. Mid Amateur Champion. We will catch up again soon, and uh, I appreciate you joining me here for the uh, the Road to Augusta series at the back of the range. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks. And there you have it. Special thanks to Lucas Michelle for joining us on this episode, the Road to Augusta series here at the back of the range. Don't forget, follow us along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Every single episode is available at thebackoftherange.com, putting new episodes out all the time. Hope you enjoy it. Hope you follow along and share this podcast. Tell your friends about it. So for the meantime, stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll see you again next time here at the back of the range.